0: All right, come and have a seat. That wasn't a cue for the cookies, although I see some people have broken the rules already. It ain't the end of the service yet. <laughs> so, yeah, honestly, guys, if you wouldn't mind, for those of you who haven't taken your seat yet, if you could sit as far close to the front as possible. And also, if you would have the opportunity to squeeze into the middle, um, I, I know that it's hard for some of us to figure out, but like if you, if you can... This way, that will make it possible for people who are still coming in to find a suite on the end of the aisle. So if you've got space between you and the middle, if you could fill that space and kind of head this way, that would be fantastic. Um, I think it was Christmas 2004 um, when, for my three-year-old daughter, of course, Santa Claus could do no wrong, right? Um, You know, at that age, she's just starting to figure out how this all works and how great it is that you just ask for stuff and suddenly Santa Claus makes it happen. And she wanted a Peter Pan doll for Christmas, which might sound all kind of easy to make happen, but this was like two or three years before Disney had allowed Santa Claus to, you know, allow the Peter Pan dolls and the t- Tinkerbell dolls to be sort of relaunched. I'm trying to sort of read the room here as best as I can this morning, if you know what I mean. Um, but uh, so t- the, tinker- the the Peter Pan movies hadn't come out yet, but she just wanted this, this Peter Pan doll and, and sort of, As parents of a single child, or at least a single child that could talk at that time, you're know you sort of in this zone where you just hope that they get absolutely everything that they want and and, need and want in life. And of course, for those of you who've got multiple children, you realize that as you start accumulating more and more children, that becomes less and less likely. But um, at the beginning there, you're like doting on your one child and you're like hoping that they get what they want for Christmas. And so even Santa Claus that year was extremely great. For, for the presence of an organization like eBay and uh, the ability that Santa had to get that gift from eBay and to ship it to where it needed to be just in time, even though it cost Santa Claus $75 for a stupid piece of plastic that's like this tall. Um, I think what I realized is that right from a very, very early age, you know, we want what we want, don't we? You know, it's, we're just, it's part of who we are. We want what we want. And um, it was uh, only a couple of years later, a few years later when everyone could could read and write that another one of my kids wrote their letter to Santa Claus and it said something like this. This year, I don't want to be greedy, but here it is. You know, just that that raw honesty. It's as if saying like, okay, big guy, this might be even tough for your budget, but I want what I want. And I want it now. You feel me? So like, like, in no time at all, we're being brutally honest with Santa Claus. I know I'm greedy, but here's what I want. And she's sitting on the front row. But um, I don't think that changes as we get older, does it? There was a time a few years ago uh, when us and our extended family were together and uh, it was us and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. And it was, it, was, uh, our, it was grandma's time to hand out the gifts. And with grandma, you never quite know uh, what's coming. You know, it's kind of a roller coaster each year. But uh, as my brother-in-law was handed an envelope, I thought, I thought there this, this could be two pieces of great news coming. A, this could be money, and that could help pay for, for Christmas. And, uh, and B, I hope that she's going to do whatever she's doing for Eric to this other brother-in-law you know, at the same time, or other son-in-law in the same way. And so when I was so even more thrilled when Eric opened his envelope and his nicely written card from Nanny, and there's like $200 falls out of his em- this envelope. And I'm like, oh, this is one of the good years right here. This is, this is what I call a Merry Christmas. Nothing can go wrong. Until she kind of handed me this box. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay, what's coming? And I opened it up, and it was a set of kitchen knives. And... I'm like, I know that kitchen knives would be a great gift for some of you, but like, not so much for me. When I was already thinking of being able to pay for three quarters of Christmas with the money that I might get, uh, and I'm not really the the chef in our house. That's my wife's kind of uh, area of expertise. I mean, I, I can cook. I, I, you know, I know how to. Uh, cook a panini, and that's helpful most of the time, and convinces children that I cooked dinner. But much beyond that, that would be a great gift for her. But I was, in the back of my mind, hopeful that I'd get what he had, because that's what I wanted. And, um, you know, we all know what it's like to not get what we want. Um, Simply put, it's easy to look at everyone else's family, everyone else's Christmas, everyone else's life, everyone else's Facebook page and think, how is it that they seem to get what, what they want, and I don't seem to get what I want? And this morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture and hopefully reflect on some thoughts about the birth of Christ and see that, how that, that, that enters into our situation here. When Jesus came into the world, he came into the mess of humanity. And he, he, it was God becoming man into our space and walking among us. And so I want you to... to To realize that as we read the passage of scripture that heralds the very beginning of all of this happening. And so let's read these verses from Luke chapter 2. It says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told about him, about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things And pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So here's this group of shepherds. That's probably a normal occupation back then, wasn't it? Complete agricultural world. Sitting on a hill, doing the night shift. Could be a combination of men, women, teenagers, boys, and girls taking on this role of shepherd. Doing the night shift as they as they watch the sheep in the quiet of the night. These people are these Jewish people are living under oppression. Remember, under the oppression of the Roman Empire, and even within that, they're living during a time where Caesar Augustus has put out an executive order to say, "Let's do a census. Let's count all the people in the empire, because that way, if we can count them, guess what? We can tax them." This is like the you know probably biggest first century tax reform and it favored nobody but the Romans. And so these people sitting on the hillside probably hated the authorities. They've had enough of this crazy political system that's suppressing that's them. But in the midst of it, these Jewish people are just desiring that one day they would see what's been promised to them as Jews. And that is that the Savior would come. The Messiah would come. And they've been they've been hearing about this since they were kids. They've been singing songs about it. It's been passed out to them that someday the Messiah will come and he'll fix all of this. And I've sat on that um, I've sat on a, hill, a hillside in Palestine, looking over Bethlehem, where they say might have been the place. They call it the Shepherd's Field, where they say might have been the place where uh, the shepherds had this experience that we just read about. And you know you can sit there and you can look over the, the not so little town of Bethlehem because it's a big city now with lights you know, sparkling at you all through the night, of course. Um, but on that particular night, it was different. It was dark night. One minute, they're talking quietly to each other in the blackness of the sky. And then the next minute, the hillside is just ablaze with light and booming with the sound of an angel's voice. Now, I bet Angelic visitations were probably about as common back then as they are now, and it's not a normal thing for them to experience. But there's so much of what happened that night that could have been a bit of a roller coaster for this group of shepherds out in the fields. Like, firstly, this huge extraterrestrial being appears in the sky, and it doesn't tell us. But I'm I'm assuming that this angel was at least 15 feet tall. I just feel like he should have been 15 feet tall because if you if you come to me in the heaven with like a a, a two-foot angel, that doesn't seem right to me. But so let's picture in our minds, for the benefit of me adding things to scripture, uh, that this uh, angel was 15 foot tall, right? And the first thing that he tells you is do not be afraid, which is probably good because they have probably all soiled themselves by this point anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, like a minute in the presence of a 15 foot extraterrestrial angel in the sky and you're going to need to go to the bathroom. But like he says, don't be afraid. I've got good news, which is also great to hear. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Could this be what they've been waiting for? Could this be the Messiah that they've been waiting for ever since they were kids? Of course, they knew he was going to be born right here in Bethlehem. They knew that there was something special about what was called the town of David, the city of David, uh, the place where where, where King David was from, because in the prophecies from hundreds of years before, it had been foretold in the Jewish scriptures that Jesus would come to the town of Bethlehem, that the Messiah would come to the town of Bethlehem. In fact, uh, I don't know if you know, but there, were, there are over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament that Jesus, his birth and life and death, fulfilled. Now, you don't figure out a way to do that yourself, do you? You don't think, oh, I'm going to be born in Bethlehem just to fulfill a prophecy. Now, this was, this was part of the many signs that we have from the, from the scriptures that Jesus is fulfilling the words spoken in the Old Testament. And they knew that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Details of Jesus' birthplace, virgin birth, where he would live, uh, Palm Sunday, betrayal, torture, every detail of the crucifixion had all been prophesied hundreds of years beforehand. In fact, mathematicians put it this way, that the likelihood of one person in the New Testament uh, fulfilling just eight Old Testament prophecies was about one in one hundred quintillion. It's a big number. The likelihood, as Jesus did, of somebody fulfilling over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament Scriptures was 1 in 10 to the power of 157. All right, so that's, that's, a, that's a big number, right? The likelihood of that happening was phenomenal. But Jesus, in his, just in the, from the very beginning, being born in the city of David, and then his whole life fulfilled everything that had been spoken of before. And this angel saying, Hey, this is happening today. I know you've been waiting forever for it. This is not happening in 100 years, as some of you have been waiting. This is not happening in the future. This is not happening even weeks or months or years into the future. It's happening today. Now, we've got to get this. These people were not waiting for a baby. These people were waiting for a person of power to come, a new, a new political leader who would overthrow the Roman Empire. And this angel starts to qualify it. Like, you want, to, you want to find the Messiah? You want to find where this Messiah is on this night, who's born to you this night? And I can imagine these shepherds, and there's me thinking, me thinking again, going, all right, so which palace are we looking for here? Like, let's go find this royal baby, this, this king, this, this great leader that we've got to find. But the angel says he's going to be lying in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Basically meaning this great Messiah that you're looking for, you're going to find him in rags and in a horse trough. Doesn't sound very Messiah-ish, does it? You know, doesn't sound what they might have, might have been ex- expecting. And so you're just thinking, hey, Mr. Angel, with the greatest respect, you know, this doesn't sound like what we were looking for. Okay, today sounds great, but from now on, it's hard to believe that a Messiah enters the world in such a broken form. Now, how many of us have experienced a sense of Today in our lives. At some point in our lives, when there has been that, that either a nudge from God or that sense that God is in the midst, he's doing something in us, and there's a, there's a sense of today. Now, God's here. God has entered our ordinary in a way that he didn't an hour ago or a week ago. Maybe some of us have to look a long way back in our history to remember those experiences. Maybe maybe it was a grandmother or a grandparent or a father or mother that at some point introduced us to who Jesus is. But we know that we've either lost our way along the way or we've walked away and somehow lost that experience of today of God being present in our lives. We love the fact that God is, that that, that, the promise that God is going to act today. But sometimes, It can feel like that God's the experience of God in our lives, and the beginning and the the embryonic moment where God is acting can seem like it's taken a while to fulfil and to come to completion. So I just want to want to mention what I think are like three quick things to know about when God says today, when God says something's changing now. You know, number one, it's this: when God says today, He's beginning a work that he promises to complete. When God says he's doing something today, you can bet the farm that God will complete it, that God will fulfill his work. If God says a Savior's coming, you've got to believe it. A Savior's coming. If God says the Messiah's here, he's definitely here. Maybe we need a reminder in our lives that those today moments in our lives, however much they may feel like they're now in the distance or in the background, that God still has a work that He wants to fulfill in us. Maybe you need the encouragement today, and I want to be here to bring that: that God will fulfill His promise to you, that God will fulfill and complete His work to you. You know, in the in the back, if you're here for a if you're here for the first time at Anthem this morning. Um, they're sort of a while stocks last thing, but we have a, about 15 copies of this book. Maybe we could just do it one per family or something. Uh, 15 copies of this book called Hope in the Dark, and it's written by Craig Rochelle, and it's a great book. If you're in that place right now where you feel like, I, I trust God, but genuinely things seem a little bit darker than they should. And he opens up some of the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures and just reflects on some of that just as an encouragement that God is with us in these moments of darkness. And if there's none of those left by the time you get there and you are here for the first time, there's some brown bags with blue kind of uh, decorative paper in them. And there's another gift in there for you, uh, which will hold your coffee, which is equally as important, right? So um, feel free to take one of those if you don't get a book. Uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Whatever God has said, he is going to fulfill his word. And it's like this idea, they are yes in Christ, it means you can take that to the bank. It's not a no, it's not a maybe, it's a yes. And it continues, it says, and through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What well, that means, whenever we affirm the yes of God's promises, is when we, when we like associate ourselves and, and, and wrap ourselves into the, the, the promises of God, we're basically an acknowledging God is doing something and I can trust Him. We can say amen to that. Anyone? All right, come on, let's, let's, let's preach here, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, we've got the ability to put our trust that the promises of God, as one translation says it, are yes and amen. We, can co- we have confidence that God's promises are true, and we can, we can, we can walk into them and live within to them. Some of you are looking back on a time when you think, I said a prayer and made a decision to invite Jesus Christ into my life, and I'm just not even sure if that still is a thing anymore. You can be confident that you are saved if you have made that decision to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's gone on between now and then. You can come to Jesus today and make that decision to follow Him every day. Renew that decision and be ready and be ready just to accept His salvation in your life. Second thing that, that I, I think is important to know when we're trying to remember what God says about today: you know, your tomorrow may not feel as though your tomorrow may feel as though God hasn't done anything today. I wonder what it was like for these shepherds. These shepherds made a choice to respond with faith, because like everybody else, they had to get up in the morning after this amazing experience and think, "Wait, what just happened?" You know, they had to get up the following day and just think, "Did was this as amazing as we thought it was?" Like, what happens now? I mean, be- between now and when this person seems like the Messiah, like, someone's got to change his diapers, and someone's got to nurse him, and someone's got to feed him, someone's got to raise him, someone's got to take him to school. Does this guy become the Messiah, like, as a day-old baby? What we- and, and there could have been all kinds of questions that have gone through their minds. But I love what we read in the Scriptures, and it says, The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They see the angel, they go to Bethlehem, they see in existence what they've been promised, and they made a choice to believe later what God had said earlier. Make a choice to believe later what God has said earlier. And I wonder how long that lasted. I wonder if that lasted for weeks or months or for years. And maybe a couple of decades later, two of these shepherds are, are, are you know, sitting in the bar going, remember all that? Like We haven't seen any result yet of what, what happened that night. I wonder how long we have to wait. This has taken a while. Even after the announcements, this is an amazing experience that maybe nobody shared except us, of seeing the announcement of the Messiah coming, and we're still waiting. But God Hadn't quit. God was still at work. Remember, God didn't announce the rule of a president. He didn't in- announce the, with, is the rule with an inaugura- inauguration of a president. He announced this new kingdom with the cries of a tiny baby. Nothing that they would have expected. The fulfillment of God's promise, even in Jesus' uh, life, took a lifetime to get unfolded. It took Jesus' lifetime for the fulfillment of that announcement to the shepherds that night. I feel like God wants us to take on a long-term view of his plan and his promises in our lives. Making right choices each day to follow him, to obey him, because God is not, you know, God's not in a rush, right? How many of you experience that sometimes, that we feel that God is not in a rush with our lives? In fact, we wish he'd be more in a rush, Ever experienced that, where we just feel like I wish that there could be some resolution to this situation? I wish this family rift I've been praying for it so much, I wish I could see healing in that situation now. I, I, I pray that I see healing for this relative, and we live with this sense of, is, is God going to come through? Is God going to fulfill what He said he'd started? But then the third thing I want to just say, is, also let me read this verse, 1 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. We can, we can hang on to that as a promise. But God is not slow in keeping his promise. God has a, has a timing that is above our timing, that is more spiritual than our timing. In our, in our self-focused broken world. It would be easy for us to think, come on God, you're not on my schedule. But God is not slow, as some would understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. He's patient with me. Because he wants to allow his work in us. He wants his allow, he wants to allow his work in the world to unfold, unfold so that the most people who will choose to follow him, can repent and turn to him. Maybe the situation that you're in is bigger than you are in, than you. Maybe the situation that you're in is something that God is going to use to lead somebody else into a relationship with him. I believe that the, that the choices we make to serve Jesus, to follow Jesus, to honor God with every day of our lives, impact those around us. They leave the rest of the world looking at us and thinking, I want that. There'll be some people around you that see your relationship with God and say, I want that. Now, the the scripture says that that to some, we are the the fragrance of life. To others, we're the smell of death. And they just hate everything to do with following Christ. But some people are going to see the way that you handle trials. Some people are going to see the way that you handle pain, the way that you handle those situations that don't seem to get concluded, the way that you decide I'm going to stand as a man or a woman of faith and I'm going to put my trust in God, navigating this difficult situation because I believe that God's going to come through and other people around us are going to see us and go, I want that. You know, The third thing that God wants us to know, I believe, this morning is this, that, that God invites us to engage in the gradual unfolding of his work. God invites us to engage in the gradual unfolding of his work. And here's the most, the the, the best verse of all that I think is a powerful scripture. If we could get our heads around this, uh, Luke 2, verse 19. Luke 2, verse 19 is one of the ones that we just read. And it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Here's Mary. She's the mother of a day-old baby who she's been sent promises from heaven about. And she's all of a sudden, shepherds are, are coming into this stable where Jesus has been born to, to confirm, yes, you have just given birth to the, the Messiah, because we saw an angel and the, the heavenly hosts worshiping God together on top of a hill, something we'd never seen before, something no one's ever seen before. And they told us to come here and to find this baby because he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And you've got Mary, who's just a, a teenage girl who's probably overwhelmed uh, at, at the situation that she's in, absolute desolate poverty. Yet she's been given the promise that the baby you're to give birth to is the Messiah is the Son of God. And in come these shepherds, and, and, and the Bible says in that verse, in, uh, in, in Luke 2.19, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's like she, she made a point of, of, of made, made a mental note of everything that had taken place. Made a mental note. I think for us, when we see the work of God in our lives, We've got to write it down. And I don't know if you make a habit of journaling or if you make a habit of writing down when, 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 the, when you have those like today moments in your lives where you think, oh, this was slightly different. This was an, a, a unique moment where God injected into my everyday life. Make a note of it write it down, journal it. I look back on my life and I see some of the most significant changes in my life. I'm able to track them and I'm able to see what God does because I commit to writing it down. And I can look back over a year or two and I can look and see, you know what? This has come up before. This struggle that I have, this victory that I have. I can even look up keywords in my journal. and I can see that 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 God's done a miraculous thing in a period of time because He's helped me overcome. Or He's helped me figure out the the the, the sort of seemingly random threads of what He might be doing in my life and, and building a more complete picture. Keep a note. I want to encourage you if you don't do that to, to to have a notebook. Make if you have a if you have a Bible, make notes in your Bible when a scripture stands out to you or when a verse needs highlighting because God's speaking right here, even on on the online uh, version of the Bible on you version, you can highlight verses, you can like click on them, and you can write a note uh, around that verse because you can journal it right there. And it doesn't, unless you make it public, nobody else sees it or anything like that. It just gives us an opportunity to record the times. Oh, yeah, I remember God spoke to me, God did something in my life back then. And it's been a while, but it was God saying, Today, it was God saying, I'm here, I want to impact your life right here right now. And I know I look over a room of faces and I, some of you even told me that I've seen those moments where God's worked in our lives. And yet we need to remember, hang on to what God's doing when God says today. And the great thing is that the fulfillment of God's promise isn't dependent on our perfection. You know, uh, it's a difference that we might have with the Catholic church in that they believe that Mary never sinned, that she was she was. She was. Uh, she was continued as a virgin, uh, or, or, uh, and she was. She was uh, perfect and almost only a step away from 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 a deity. But we don't agree that that's the the, the, so the clarity that's in the scripture. That she was a a normal human. She had an incredible role in history, but she was actually a normal human being. And uh, I love to see the fact that Mary treasured these things up in her heart, and she watched. The, the plan of God unfold through her son and God's son, Jesus. The fulfillment of God's promise isn't dependent on our perfection because we fall short. We fail. And uh, this morning, I want us to uh, kind of wrap this up with a, a story that we're going to watch. And it's a story of a young lady named Judy who's part of our community and here this morning. And I want to, you to watch her story of how she had experienced God in her life in a phenomenal way, and then her experience of coming back and finding him in later in life. Let's watch this together.
1: My name is Judy. I am originally from Northern California. I lived there for the majority of my life, went to school uh, for medical school in Los Angeles, lived there for a number of years. And then I moved out here to Burlington for my anesthesia residency at Leahy Hospital Medical Center. Growing up, Christianity was a huge part of our lives. We would wake up at, I can remember from the age of five, kneeling around the bed. Both my parents would have their Bibles and we'd, we'd sing together, we'd pray together. So I grew up very much in the church. We'd go every Sunday, we dressed up, wore the hats, the whole shebang. After moving to Los Angeles, I think I was way in over my head on being independent um, and being away from Christ. There was a lot of exposures. There were a lot of different types of people who believed in a lot of different types of things. I think I got swept up in that. And eventually, I would say I got very lost in all of it. I began to feel very disconnected with friends, with family, with anything that really reminded me of who I actually was. I had my sister come visit me when I started to realize I didn't want anyone around me. I just became very much isolated, and the only person I was really willing to invite into my own space was my sister. She spent the night with me. We laughed, we talked, we joked. I looked at her and she was with me and she was singing and she was humming and, and I just saw something in her that I wanted. I wanted whatever she had. I asked her, why are you so peaceful? Why did you, what is this that, you're, that you have within you that just looks so attractive to me right now? And she told me, I have God. And and I told her, well, if God is what you have, then I want that too. And then she said, well, let's just start something simple. Why don't we go on the internet together and find a Bible study group? I ended up going to this Bible study that was filled with women from all different backgrounds. I walked in and I was pretty scared. I had no idea if I should have been there, if I belonged there. And I spotted this lovely lady. She was in her 80s. And I don't know what it was about her face, about her friendly nature, but I looked at her, still searching for which seats I wanted. And she looked at me and she put her hand down on a seat and said, sit next to me. These women over time became my best friends. They, I would call them, we would cry together, we would talk about our families together, but most importantly, we'd read the word together and try to figure out, how to take the Bible and incorporate those lessons into each and every aspect of our lives. We were each other's support. We were each other's confidence. We were We were friends and we were family. When I moved to Burlington, I was ready to take on the world. I was so excited about my residency, the opportunity to be in a new place. It was rainbows and butterflies. And then residency started. I was working over 36 hours at sometimes a day. I was exhausted. I didn't know anyone, and I definitely didn't know how to deal with snow. So eventually, I realized, in order for me to feel like this is my home, I need to find a church home. I need to find people that I can identify with, that I can spread the love of God with, and that can also be my community, my family. I ended up doing what I did before, going on Google, going on the internet, and I found Anthem Church. I decided to go. I walked in, and for one of the first times since I'd moved to Burlington, I finally felt the peace that I feel when I find God and when I bring him into the forefront of my life. But what I love about specifically a Christian community is you're rooted in something so much deeper than each of you as individuals. It's bigger. It's steadfast and it's unconditional with life with opportunities there comes many terms but with christ there's no term there's nothing you can really actually do for him to love you you were born with that gift and that's what you find and you feel in a christian community you feel that love no matter what you go through and where you are and if you fall short if you if you shine it's all the same to him he loves you and that's what I have, and that's what I know that you will find.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Judy, for being so honest. Where is she? Somewhere in the back. Judy, where are you? There she is, right there. <laughs> um, Judy is actually um, going to be starting a, a women's group in the new year. Um, a Bible study group for women here in, here in Burlington. So uh, if you're interested in that, talk to Judy after the service and you'll hear more about it in the, in, the few, in the next few weeks as well. In fact, we want to make an opportunity during January, February, March, the next few months uh, for a few different groups um, for people to be get to get involved in on a regular basis. Some of you have done Alpha, which is a, just a phenomenal introduction, a 10- or 11-week introduction to the Christian faith over dinner, answering some of the, the tough questions of life, and then asking, asking some of the basic questions of who Jesus was as well. And we'll be doing that and a number of other opportunities to, to get with other people who are saying, I want to recognize the work of God in my life and the nudging of God's Holy Spirit in my life when he's, he's encouraging me to... To, to step out in faith in Him and to walk with Him. I want to invite the band to, to come up at the end for, uh, come up now for the end of our service. And we're going to do some candle lighting a minute, in a minute as well. But before we, before we uh, uh, move into that, I just want to say, even, even I, yesterday morning, I had the opportunity to get together with five other guys, five other men from Anthem. We all had breakfast together. And I can't tell you how valuable it was to sit down, six of us, around the the breakfast table, just be honest about where our lives are at, be honest about what we're struggling with, but also be honest about the fact that, you know, I still, I recognize God in the midst of this. I recognize God's todays in the midst of that. And in a moment, it's kind of all going to go black a little bit, and we're going to share some candle lighting through the room. And if you didn't get a candle, uh, I think our ushers will be coming down the sides in just a moment just to make sure that everyone's taken care of. But have that on the ready. And this morning, we just want to sim- symbolize the light of the world, the today of God coming into our lives, coming into our houses, coming into our communities. And the words for this song that we're about to hear For all who wait, for all who hunger. For all who've prayed and for all who wander, behold your king, the Messiah, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel, it's a a Hebrew word which means God with us. It was one of the names of God. One of the the names of the the Christ who who came to us. He was Emmanuel. He's a symbol of God with us. I want to pray uh, now. Just ask that God's spirit touches every single one of us and makes us aware of his presence today. And in a moment when you receive the light you might even want to just say to the person next to you as you light their candle today. Today. Let that voice just softly echo through this room as we continue our worship this morning. Let's pray. Lord we believe you're present here today. We believe that this is not just Sunday, December 22nd, but this is one of those todays in many of our lives where we're seeing your hand at work, where we're sensing you nudging us by your Spirit saying, take a step towards God. Take a step away from selfishness and take a step towards faith. And I pray this morning, Lord, that as we continue to open up our hearts, you'll continue to speak to us through this through these worship songs. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.